Thanks for downloading this podcast from RNIB Connect Radio. Carmel Mia is a second-generation British Asian whose family originate from Bangladesh. Carmel looked after his family for many years until he started to notice his sight deteriorating. Then everything changed. Carmel joins me on the programme to tell us his story now. Carmel, thank you for joining me on the programme today. Now, you first noticed problems with your sight in 2008, didn't you? That's correct, yes. So what happened? Basically, um, I used to play football. I used to play football regularly quite a couple of times a week in the evenings. And on one of these occasions when I was playing, and it's under floodlights, um, I noticed uh, the ball was up in the sky and I couldn't configurate where the ball was going. I kept staying in the previous position where the ball had been and my eyesight wasn't following in the right coordination that it should do. And then I just noticed, oh, that's a bit strange. I didn't think too much of it initially. I just thought maybe because of the line of work I was doing, using computers, etc., maybe it's just a case that I, with my age, maybe I need to uh, see if I need to wear glasses or such. Um, so I just put it down to that, really. And then obviously once I went for my optional test, that's when they noticed there was a problem with both my eyes. Usually when you have uh, problems with your eyes, they usually find a problem in one. And so they couldn't tell what it was wrong. So they referred me to um, the local hospital in Birmingham to have a diagnosis of my eyes. And again, they couldn't really understand what was wrong with my eyes either. And then they referred me to another specialist. Um, again, I met with some gentleman who's meant to be like the leading specialist in that field. Um, to try and work out what the problem was, and he couldn't really tell either. So we were playing a bit of a cat-and-mouse game for about a couple of years, trying to work out what could be the possible problem with my with my vision, and nobody seemed to have an idea. And so this was the way it went for a couple of years until 2010. Well, that's the thing, Komal. It wasn't diagnosed until 2010, and it was diagnosed as being retinitis pigmentosa, which we know is a hereditary disease. You must have been quite shocked. Was there retinitis pigmentosa in the family? I have got an elder brother who's totally blind, but obviously I didn't pay much attention to it because um, my eldest brother, similar scenario to myself, he had vision and then suddenly one day he lost his vision. Um, And in that time period where he had vision to losing his vision, we never really used to keep in touch. So I don't really know how he lost his eyesight. His words were basically, when I did ask him one on a rare occasion, because as you can imagine, it's a personal thing for each individual. So I didn't really want to pry into how well and how it happened to him. And all he mentioned was that one day he was, because um, he used to be a chef and he was working and his eyes were kind of like itching, etc. And he started from there really. And then he just started going slowly but surely. And then he completely lost his eyesight. So I knew that he had it, but I never talked much about it. I just thought maybe it's a different concept altogether. He's got something that I wasn't too aware of. And then as time went on, and obviously I started developing problems, I noticed there must be some sort of a link here because he's got it and I've got it. And I have another relative of mine who's in Bangladesh, and she has it as well. So there's three of us, and we seem to all have been born without the problem. And it just happened through the course of time that the other two, um, my brother and my cousin, they've lost their eyesight completely where they're totally blind whilst I've got some sort of pigmentation still left in both my eyes. So it was a bit of a shock, but I didn't think too much of it. I just thought there must be a reason for it. And then obviously, when nobody could tell me what the reason was, then obviously 
I did start playing in my mind for a couple of years. I was thinking, we're living in a modern world where surely someone could tell me what the problem is. Then I had this issue with basically the trust not understanding what the problem was. And then they told me that they wanted to refer me to a leading specialist in Oxford who could help me try and diagnose what, the pro- what this condition could possibly be. And it was until then, when I went to visit this lady, that she was able to, within a few seconds, tell me what my diagnosis was. She just sat me down, and within about five minutes, she told me what my condition was. And I was baffled, and I thought, so I had to wait two years. And this lady, within five minutes, could tell me what my problem is. And these people that I'd been going to see for two years could not do so themselves. I just found that absolutely astonishing. It's so frustrating, Carmel. It really, really is. And I know that, you know, I wasn't living in the UK when I lost my sight. And I was very frustrated by the treatment that I got abroad when I was having my eyes looked at and and tested and you know it it was confirmed very very quickly with me what my sight condition was that wasn't the problem it's just the the treatment was too quick and too kind of severe and probably shouldn't have been done on both eyes so I may still have had a little bit of sight in one eye to this day had I not had my second eye operated on so quickly so when you do kind of look back and think of, you know, the things that you should have done and maybe could have done. But at the same time, you, you tend to follow the advice and the say-so of doctors. So how are you to know and how was I to know? It's, it's very, well, very I frustrating. If I look back at hindsight, I got seen by a couple of doctors, but mainly they were trainees. You know, trainee opticianists are training to become fully-fledged opticianists. I got to a stage where, you know, drops in my eyes were just standard procedure to me now. You know, when they tell you they can sting your eyes, I just got used to it. And I just thought this is just something that keeps happening all the time. And at the back of my mind, I was just thinking, what what can I say to these people? I mean, they're meant to be the specialists in this field. I can't really say anything. It's not my specialised field. So I just think, you know, I'm living in the UK. I'm living in England, one of the most developed countries. Surely there's got to be uh, a reason for the, what I like to say, a reason for the madness. I think it's always very frustrating when, when you know, anybody of any profession comes back to you and says, well, I don't understand this situation, you know, whether it be, you know, a legal situation, whether it be, you know, a health thing, you know, it is very frustrating. But you were working at the time, weren't you? And um, you weren't being completely honest with your work because you were struggling to see. How did you cope with that? Well, I think it's to do with a lot of things, really. For initially, it was my own self-pride, really. At that start of the whole process, it wasn't really affecting me that much. I just kept on getting on going. You know, you have your set routines and just got on with it and really just try to keep it, not to try and uh, break up your routine or your pattern. But with eyes issues, as you get older, it gets more worse and it just died at the stage where I couldn't really disguise it. It wasn't that I was deceiving anybody. I just felt like there's no need for nobody to know about it because then there's nothing they could do to help me, really. And so I thought there's no point sharing it with it with anybody else when they don't really know what to do and they wouldn't know how to relate to it or understand. And I just thought I couldn't be going through that process where I have to keep explaining myself because one of the problems I faced at work was that once I got diagnosed with my condition, I knew what it was. And... I had to keep telling everyone, and it's a repetitive thing. You have to keep always explaining what the condition is, how it affects 
But you can't really explain it because unless you're in that position yourself, no one can really understand or relate to it. Um, there's far things worse going on. I, I used to put up a picture where I'm thinking it could be worse, couldn't it? There's far things worse going on out there, really. And I shouldn't be complaining about something to do with me when there's people out there who are homeless, or got no shelter, they can't you know, feed themselves, they can't look after their families. So, you know, there's a, I just to put myself thinking there's far worse things going on out there, far worse than myself. So why am I complaining about something? Do you know something, Carmel? I know exactly what you're saying. And I got to the stage where I thought, you know, I kept thinking, why me, why me? And then I thought, well, why not me? I have to say, though, Yes, there are people out there that are going through a million times, you know, worse situations than when what you or I are going. There's always going to be somebody worse off than you. And I feel that we can say that about ourselves. I don't know about you. When somebody who is fully sighted and has no health issues and nothing that's kind of incapacitating them. When they say that to me, that, you know, there's always people worse off, I want to kill them. Yeah, but I think if you meet the normal rational thinking person who's not got any sort of disabilities, they wouldn't really say like that. It's the ignorant people that say like that. And then what, what can you say to that, really? Just got up to rise above it and just ignore it, really, if you can. But it is very difficult. One of the problems I've faced is that once you have a disability uh, as such, your kind of lifestyle changes and, you know, the family and friends that you once thought were your family and friends, they just start to abandon you because they can't, A, understand your situation. Two, they don't know how to deal with that situation, how to be around you and how to not say the wrong things to try and offend you or upset you. They just don't know how to deal with it. It's like you live two sort of scenarios, one that you're fighting yourself, you know, the inner demons and the inner struggle you're yourself facing. And on top of that, you have to deal with perceptions of other people and how they're dealing because they're not really being honest with you. They don't know how to express themselves to yourself. How were your family with it? That's one of the hardest things to take, really, because I used to support all my family. I was the first member of my family to go and get a degree. Nobody in my family had ventured that far out in their uh, educational lifestyle that I did. Because I'm, I'm a second-generation British-Asian. My parents came to this country. They were uneducated. My father did what he could to try and support our family. And then obviously, I used to see the struggles that my father went through. And I thought to myself, you know, he's doing his best for, to raise our family. I'm going to study. I'm going to try and get myself a good education so that... I'm not saying that I want to leave, you know, the materialistic lifestyle, because that's not me. I just want to live a lifestyle where I can look after myself and I don't have to worry about issues and things that my father had gone through. So I used to uh, go through that notion and obviously once I got my degree, etc., and I started working, I used to support my, my members of my family who were less educated, who weren't on a good pay structure themselves, so I used to help them. That was my life for 16 years. I was the youngest in my family. I never thought twice about it. I thought I'd rather help somebody than help myself. It just makes you feel better as a human being. And you know other people appreciate you and you're doing this because of the kindness of your heart, not for the kindness of your wallet. My sister has been very supportive. I've got one sister. She was very supportive towards me. She's also born in this country with myself. The rest of my family members were born in Bangladesh. So we're the only two that were born in this country. So she kind of understood, but at the same time, she was trying to do her best to help me. But she's got her own family and her own children to support as well. I didn't want to put pressure on nobody in my family thinking they've got their own you know, responsibilities and burdens that they have to face. And they don't need another burden on top, really, which is myself. You're certainly not a burden 
to anybody but I have spoken to people from various different communities that say you know culturally it is deemed as a burden or an embarrassment or you know something that that the family look down on and you know I've spoken to other people from from you know different cultures that have been abandoned by their families and it's something that I suppose I mean I could very well turn around and say you know I I can't believe that's happened but you know I have been abandoned by members of my family and not because of blindness just through kind of ignorance really or maybe not being bothered I don't know but it's it's a very very difficult pill to swallow it's difficult now because when I'm struggling today, I look around, there's nobody around. I think when I was perfectly fit and healthy and anybody needed any support, any help, any advice, they didn't hesitate to call me or ask me for help and I would help them. That's the way I was. I'm not trying to say I'm a big-headed person or anything like that, but in the community I grew up in, my name gets mentioned and a lot of people who mentioned that they say yeah come on he's always willing to help you he'll always give you his last pound rather you know than himself and i thought to myself you know that's the way the world works if you're kind to people people will be kind to you but it doesn't work like that way i've realized that world is a selfish place and people don't really care if you've got nothing to give them then they won't really care too much about you i think um, you know as as human beings we can all be guilty of of turning our backs on certain things from time to time and don't get me wrong I've had people in my life turn their back on me when I've needed them the most but I've also had people who have crawled out of the woodwork to help me unexpectedly which has been you know amazing it really really has but I know I know you're having a, a down day today aren't you you're not having a good I'm day not, it's not that I'm having a down day I'm, I'm a deep thinker I'm not saying I'm a philosopher but I'm a deep thinker anything I've done in my life I always think about everything I think of all the permutations, all the various routes that can possibly happen. My wife says the same thing sometimes. She goes, you know, not everybody thinks like you. And I'm like, well, it's a simple process of thinking, really. When we're well and we're doing okay, we don't think about these things. It's when we're not doing well and we're struggling. That's when we realize who we are, really. And I noticed that really a lot because all those years that you spent helping everybody and it counts for nothing, really, because they just took the boots into you right now. When you they know you're at your weakest and you can't do anything about it. And it's the hard start is things here because there's nothing I can do about it. I have to sit there and swallow it and take it. And sometimes it's difficult to take because I can't do anything about it. The way I've seen human beings nowadays, you know, friends and family, they're always saying to you, oh, you should come, you should come and see us or you should give us a call if you need anything. And I just think to myself, you know I can't see properly. You should be going... Not out your way, but you should be thinking, so hang on, why don't we make sure he's all right or let's give him a call. Carmel, it just sounds like you've been through a horrendous experience and, you know, how you've managed to, to get by, I do not know. But, you know, the fact that you are still going and, you know, you're still strong and, you know, maybe it's not a bad thing that you're you're a deep thinker because I think people who think tend not to make as many mistakes when it comes to other people and you know as as awful as other people have been to you you're obviously a very very kind gentleman who you know is is very well respected by the people who do love you so I suppose you have to keep that in mind it's been such a pleasure to talk to you today Kamal and I wish you the very best of luck for the future thank you very much Joe. 
For more downloads like these, visit rnibconnectradio.org.uk slash podcasts.